boys and girls, um, welcome to the next episode of the Property Management Show, where you come to learn how to run your, run and grow your property management business. I'm Alex Osanenko, your host and humbled servant, must be said. And so my day job, I'm a CEO of a company called Four and Half. We provide marketing solutions for the property management industry. Um, but my passion is, as my guest says, I'm a giver. And, um, you know, sharing this education and, and having guests like my guest today is pretty awesome privilege. And, and I think I got a lot of, um, not I think, I know I got a lot of um, letters and even phone calls from listeners who are interested in the following topic. The idea is how do you grow your property management business by opening new locations, standing them up and making them successful without having to acquire another property management company in order to be successful. And naturally, so this was kind of accumulating for weeks and naturally I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go on social media and go to these property management groups and see if I can fish somebody out who's, who's done it successfully. And so I posted on a few Facebook groups. Many of you, you already know, I uh, maybe have seen my post. And I've gotten a few people who gave me some recommendations. In fact, a good friend, uh, Matt uh, Tringali with uh, um, a Group 15 uh, Real Estate, he said, Alex, I can help you in covering on how to do it unsuccessfully. <laughs> good man, Matt, right? It's like, it, it's a true entrepreneur when you're sort of learning by failure and you're proud of that. And that's like, he's a great guy. Hats off to him, Matt. I know you're listening, good man. But finally, in my network, there's this wonderful lady called Casey McDonald, right? She's, she spoke at the PM Growth Summit last year. We've had good connections when I went to Australia. She spoke, um, we, we've hooked up here in the US. And so over time, we kind of kept up. Um, and then finally I asked her, hey, can you recommend somebody on this topic? And she says, well, I got just a guy for you. I got just a guy. And so that's how I met Jason. And Jason's got a storied background. I looked at his resume and he's got a very interesting background. And Jason, perhaps, may, first of all, it's, it's an honor to have you on the show. Thank you for tuning in. Cheers, mate. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, across the pond too, a big pond. This is Australia. Um, so those of you listening, if we have any sort of little delays, we'll try to be respectful of those delays. But, you know, Jason's coming from, are you Brisbane? Yeah, Brisbane, mate. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And so Jason, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how, um, how sort of this topic fits into what you've done in the past? Righto. So um, for me, uh, this year's 32 years in the property industry. Um, my first 10 years, um, I'm an auctioneer by profession. So cattle auctioneer, livestock auctioneer. Um, so I did that for the first 10 years and then decided to wash a bit of the mud and the cow shit off the boots and move to the big smoke um, and got into real estate auctioneering. So full-time real estate auctioneer. And, and you, you know, it's uh, not something that's widely used in the, in the sales process over there in the, the US, but it's something certainly growing momentum. Um, one of the groups from Australia, Harcourt's group have gone obviously over to the East Coast, sorry, the West Coast there and are rolling out their auction system through their network there. But anyway, that, uh, that gave me a good understanding of, of real estate, um, getting into it uh, and, and working with salespeople. Um, but one of the, I suppose one of the, the, the big things was a business I was involved in for 12 and a half years um, that we started off as a traditional real estate agency that did sales. 
um, and just progressed into property management. You know, we sold a property to a property investor and they said, oh, can you look after our property management for us? And we go, oh yeah, sure, we can do that. And of course, like a lot of people, um, we, we sign them up and then don't know how to actually manage the property yeah. once we get them. Um, so you're just, you're just winging it, I suppose, back then. And we, we, we saw an opportunity back in um, 2003, 2004 to ramp it up. So uh, be, you know, put BDMs on as such. Um, and start to grow a property management business. Um, and then in 2006, we sold our sales business and created a property management only company, a company called Rental Express here in Australia. Um, Chris Rolls, who I know you've spoken to before, was uh, one of my colleagues in that particular business. So I joined the business in 2004. We had 350 properties or 350 doors under management. Um, we exited that business in 2015 with 5,102. Oh. Um, doors. So that's through um, both acquisition, but organic growth. Organic growth was a big part of, of our, our growth strategy and going hand in hand. So my, my role in, in the business, you know, I came on as a BDM, uh, become an office manager, operations manager, um, then uh, took up all the growth aspects of the business. So that was a BDM team, sales team, lead generation team, online marketing, um, acquisitions, all that, you know, fell under my, um, my hat, I suppose you could call it, as the Chief Growth Officer of Rental Express. So that's a, a, a snapshot, just to, just to, um, not to, to impress you, but to impress upon you. Our last year, we bought on 945 doors with six BDMs in a 12-month period. So. Six BDMs. Yeah, so that's a, that, that's, a, that's a phenomenal growth. And so let's unpack some of this, Jason. And by the way, I, this is very exciting to me because, um, you, you know, you've you sort of lived through it. You, you, you're not just sort of teaching this um, because you sort of put together a thesis, right? This is, this is life, right? This is, you've progressed through the ranks. You saw exactly how the company started. And in fact, it was a real estate shop turning into property management. A lot. That's, that's a lot of stories. That's a lot of stories start, but usually that's where they end. Right? Yeah. And we, we, we created, and I talk about it, you know, we weren't a real estate business. We're a business that did real estate. So as the leaders in that business, we didn't have to be till ringing there at the end of the day, either making sales or bringing on new managers. We ran a business at the end of the day. And that's, you know, by exiting that business, we, we got a premium price because of the IP that we developed in that business, um, not just a rent roll transaction. Gotcha, Jason. I am, I am a, a big fan of starting with the why. So some of our audience listening right now, they're like, okay, maybe I want to grow another location, but I see opportunity where I'm at. Why would I consider growing uh, and expanding into a new location. Um, start with why Simon Sinek, big fan of him, and, and, and that's Sinek, where yeah. I start with everything. It's around the why. Why do it? Um, and probably from an industry perspective, we we tend to find um, uh, number one mistake is usually um, I want to do it by ego. You know, I, I want I want to have be seen to have multiple sites, um, you know, multiple locations. I want to be the biggest, but it comes down to the why at the end of the day. Why did you get into the business, and and what do you want to get out of the business at the end of the day? Is it just a job? Or do you want to buy, you know, own a business that creates profit, creates wealth? Um, so that's really the foundation. And, and it really, you know, it was a, I had a, a friend of mine in New Zealand uh, rings me the other day and, and uh, he's got a very, very successful sales business and he sold his rent roll um, three years ago because he hated it. He had an immense, hate's probably a harsh word, but an immense disliking for property management. Um, and so he sold his rent roll off to a competitor. Anyway, he rings me up there a couple of weeks ago and he said, um, 
hey, Rosie, I've, I've got uh, an opportunity to buy a rent roll. And I said, what the bloody hell do you want to do that for? <laughs> um, and, and here's why. He needs to create $600,000 a year in passive income through his business and his commercial property and everything he buys so he can make the choice whether he works or not. Um, and the first question I was asked, does it fit into your passive income goal? And he said, mate, it, it adds um, significantly to that goal. I said, that's the main thing. Does it fit into that goal? Is it, that was his why. Um, so it's a big one around, um, as I said, a lot of time we find it's ego that will drive the, the, the location. But, but I think in business, one of the, the most powerful things we can actually, or powerful words we can use is no. Um, so it's, it's, you know, we might say, have a client say, oh, can you manage my property 100 kilometres away? Um, and a lot of times we'll just say yes to take it on, um, where it's actually not a profitable business to take on in the day. So a lot of times it, it might be no today, but a yes tomorrow based on things happening. So it, it doesn't fit into your why, but the, the big one around it is um, before you look at uh, multiple locations, there's a couple of key factors I look at that, and that's you as a business leader. Um, how good are you with your team around you? So you, you know, when, you, when you have multiple locations, you've got to have good quality people running those businesses for you. So if you're not good at playing well with, with, with fellow team members as such, as far as managers within your business, um, don't do it um, because the quality of the people you have around you um, is going to be the key success to it. So it's, it's only so many hours in the day. Um, you know, as a business owner, we wear so many hats in that growth phase. But when you come to multiple locations, you know, the time that it takes you to try and run it, if you're trying to run it yourself, um, usually ends up in, uh, as you said, one, one of your, Matt saying there before, I can tell you all the things that went wrong. Um, so it really comes down to you as a leader. Are you, are you happy to abdicate some of your responsibilities around the day-to-day -day leadership responsibilities of, of running an extra site? Um, and also saying that you, you need your first location to be so systems-driven, process-driven, um, and have good quality people to run it um, to free up the capacity for you to be able to go and look at other enterprise or other locations because it's a lot of times we'll find is, yep, I'll go and open another location, but I'll go and open that up. It's taking 60 to 70% of my time to get that up and running and I'm abdicating all my responsibilities in my core business and we start to see churn in people, um, property, um, profit and things like that. So it really doesn't, doesn't fit with where you want to go. That's, that's probably one of the first things I look at. Jason, that's pretty interesting. One question. So Rosie is a nickname because you're Jason Rose, right? Yep, correct. Yep. Do you happen to know Steve Rosenberg? Uh, yes, I do. All right. So he's also Rosie, but you're a true Rosie or is he a true yeah. Rosie? No, he, he, he's Rosie with a Z. A Z. <laughs> Rosie. Ah, that's, uh, I'll play that with him. Jay, right, Jay Z. So, so here's what I'm, here's one I'm um, pulling out of you answer. Number one, um, good quality people that already need to be in the business have a same mindset of growth and expansion goals are aligned and i think even more importantly well not more important than people you're right people number one but also good systems drive good people right so good systems and processes in place before this conversation even starts because if you sow in chaos you know you will get chaos in return right so if you have um <laughs> if you have your business sort of operating at you know somewhat profitability and you're sort of still figuring things out and you and i think some of us think okay if we open up a new location it will force us to get disciplined finally well that's going to be a, probably a pretty big disaster right um 
Very much so. And, and, and I was just about to say, you know, Todd Breen that we both know well over in the US there with, you know, virtually incredible with the outsourcing side of things. Um, you look at that and a lot of people think the outsourcing will fix their problems in their processes in the business. But if you tried to outsource with the shit processes, it's just going to amplify it and, and turn into chaos. So you've got to get your own house right first. Um, so it is actually your processes are scalable um, and reproducible. Right. I'm looking on the internet. Um, this movie on Netflix it was about McDonald's. I think it's called Founder. Let me double check. And if I'm getting it right, um, yeah, it's called The Founder. So it's about um, McDonald's and their story. And sort of when they were just coming up, there was really no systemization um, widespread in any kind of fast food service. So it was all drive-ins. And the story is just amazing of Ray Kroc and how he sort of met these McDonald's brothers and how he sort of understood the concept and, and made it work. It's, it's a fascinating story. But to me, it speaks to the essence of the business, Jason. And that is systemization and the quality of the people, like what you just captured that. So let's just say that's our why, right? Once you have that, then from there you can decide new location or keep uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the gas pedal pressed in your current location. All right. And, and that was my big one is, is yeah. um, if you've got market capacity where you are, um, the, in other words, there's more market share to be taken, stay, stick to one location, stick to one location. Um, and make it bloody profitable. Get a shitload of money out of it. That's, you know, that's my big, big one, isn't it? Yeah, so opportunity cost needs to be considered because splitting your vision into a new location will create new problems. We all know, we all have friends that have done it, uh, and it's very difficult to do. Enough on the why. Let's say we just basically got 80% of our audience no longer interested in the rest of it. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, guys. Stay with us. This is going to be gold, right? More gold is coming. All right. So next question. This is going to be a good one. What do you think is the financial investment required to successfully stand up a new location? How would you go about figuring that out? Uh, well, one of the big things is you've got to look at first, you know, uh, any location, what are your fixed costs going to be associated with that business? So, you know, it's very much around, you know, your, your budgeting and your cash flow forecasting and working out. Um, but your big ones going to be is how much cash am I going to, you know, work out, you know, if I open a shop and I didn't bring any doors in for six months, what's it going to cost to operate that business for six months? If you do look at, you know, bricks and mortar location side of things. Um, so it's, you know, whether you acquire or whether you go organic, there's still going to be a cost associated with growing a business. So you've got to look at what the fixed costs are first. Um, and, um, you know, can you survive in business if you didn't bring any doors on whatsoever for a six-month period? So you've got to have the cash in the bank or access to capital um, to be able to do that. Um, but also with that is that, you know, you can't start a business without people either. So you've got to resource heavy. And it's probably one of those things that I look at as you grow a business. You know, you, you start from scratch and you, you have a couple of team members there. And then, then traditionally they're going to be in dual roles. Like there's not a full-time role for someone. So there'll, there'll be some dual roles until you get to a stage where you're just starting to see some good growth and, and probably starting to see a little bit of profit. But those people are getting capacity that you've got to plug the next person in. And the next person. So you've got to understand, I suppose, the, the speed humps that you're going to go through in that growth 
to realize the capital because it's just not a case of you know startup costs in month one are going to be the same as the, the, the fixed costs in month 12. Um, so there's going to be extra resources being need. But you know, you've got to model it on the financial. Does it make financial sense at the end of the day? Back in your experience, back in the um, sorry, what was the company called you were running? Rental, Rental Express. Rental Express experience. What would you say the sum of money you would, sum of capital you would set aside in order to spin up a location? Just give us, give us a- just- Yep, Two, 2008, we, we, we started an organic location from scratch um, and it wasn't in the adjoining suburb of town. It was um, 40 minutes away. So there was no overlap there. We had no, no, no database or anything to start with. Uh, we, we budgeted that it was going to cost us, um, after generating income, 200 grand out of our pocket um, by year two um, before we'd actually see any profit out of it. So, so repeat that for me, Jason. 200,000 total? 200,000 on top of the revenue that you're going to create as you grow that business. Got it. So 200,000 total yep. as a way to sort of uh, organically bring that location Correct. Into, into being. Yep. That's very good. That's a very good uh, landmark. I, I think that's... The- and saying, saying that, you know, that was the, the budget, but we hit the, hit the target um, within 14 months. So well ahead. Um, but that was also something to do with the marketplace we're dealing in that particular point in time. So, uh, But that's a very good uh, benchmark to at least... I mean, it's 2008, long time ago. But for 200000 you can't really buy a property management company. Uh, not much of one anyway here in Australia. So, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You can't buy... You, can't, you may buy a real estate... Uh, agents portfolio of like, you know, 40 properties, 30 properties, but there will be all over the place, no systems. So well, I can see that. And also you- indication there in that particular area where we open, open that office, um, they are worth about six grand per door. So 200K is not going to buy you many doors. Six hundred grand per door. Yeah. Australian uh, values a little bit different um, on, uh, on doors for, for acquisition. So cool. What is, Maybe using that location example, maybe extrapolate a little more of your experience. What would you say a successful number of doors to hit as a goal for the new location, year one, year two, year three? Maybe year one. Let's start with year one. 12 months. What would you want to see out of the location? Uh, About 150 doors. 150. Yep. Year two. You finish year two. Where are you at? Uh, Where were we at the end of year two on that particular one? We're about 370. 360, 370, yep. And then year three? Um, I'll give you an indication. Between 2008 when we opened it and 2015, we grew it from zero to 1,865. So it was was one of those things. You you start to develop more multi-channels, get better known out in the the marketplace, and it just um, starts to, the wheel starts to to churn and drag stuff with it. The momentum starts to drag drag, um, and you get more traction. Safe to say year three is around 500 units. This is where really sort of things are yep. being up. Okay. Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, excellent. I think this gives us a very good metric to consider. It's the first year is probably the most miserable one. Wouldn't you say? Um, it's a lot of friggin' work. You know, it, it's starting something from scratch. It definitely is. Um, and, it, and it's, it's making sure that you've got a solid plan in place and, and everything is geared back towards that plan. Um, so, you know, not getting distracted and, and things like that. So making sure you've got it right. Um, and, 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 and you've got to have your systems and process. You start to bring a fire hose of new business on, 
you've got to have your onboarding processes right. You've got to have your client retention right. Otherwise, you know, it's a bit like a bucket with holes in it. They just go out the, out the bottom of the bucket quicker than what they're coming in. Mm. This is interesting. Um, part of the reason I'm so curious to, to sort of talk to you about this is um, we're just, uh, we just opened our doors in, in, in Perth, Australia, right? It's our first uh, location first. It's probably our only location in Australia because, you know, we can serve the whole country. But what we found is, what we found is when, we, when we're just centralized in U.S., we still have Australian customers. But th they wanted localization. They wanted local sort of support. They wanted local understanding. There's a lot of things that convert, but some things that don't. Yeah, and usually it's around the terminology right um, side of things you know we, we talk about how many properties under management you talk about how many doors so yeah the different terminology but also saying that it's no different to you know if you're going to east coast to west coast you've got to tailor your business whether that's your marketing or your dialogue around how that fits that demographic and geographic um, side of things so especially if you go from a say a, a low, lower socioeconomic area to a more affluent area you've got to talk in a different way um, side of things, both from a marketing and also from your scripts and dialogues point of view. That's, that's, uh, that's spot on. So both for real estate, property management and for marketing, like marketing is a discipline, location is everything. Yeah? Real demographic location is, is everything. It's just, it needs to be that much more specific to resonate or else it just falls kind of flat. Just, mm. um, yeah, spoke in Australia. I did, I did twice and I did in New Zealand and we'll get like maybe one or two customers kind of testing the waters a little bit, not really anything. You know, I expected a lot more. So I don't think Australia has this one stop kind of a shop marketing solution, kind of a one throat to choke about the growth. So you kind of have to go figure things out yourself. You can buy things off the shelf here and there, but you have to kind of put it all together. Yep. Very much right? so. Yep. Yeah. So, so this is interesting to me, especially when we get to the operations part, but, we'll, but we, before we get there, I got to satisfy the curiosity of some of my audience first, right? Audience first, me second. Um, <laughs> so what are the two reasons, Jason, you would say top two reasons new locations fail? Uh, not doing market research to find out market capacity, right? So is it, is it a, how, you know, is that marketplace, you know, what's the percentage of property investors to owner occupiers, people that live in, their, live in those houses. So is there capacity to actually take market share and to grow a business that's actually profitable at the end of the day? So um, yeah, we see, see a lot of times, I like the area, so I wanna open an office there. Um, and it might be a, an area that has 80% people own their houses in that area and only 20% property investment. So it's gonna be a hard slog to grow market share in that. So it's a case of looking at, um, is there capacity to be able to take market share in that particular location? The other one I'd probably look at is, um, when you look at your core business, is have you actually determined the type of client you're looking for? You know, have you created a persona for your ideal client? Right? And a lot of the times what you're better off, and if you've nailed your marketing in that particular marketplace, you're better off to look at a marketplace that is exactly the same in another area because your marketing is just gonna transition straight across. You know it works in that area there with that target client. You know that it's gonna work in another area. Um, so very clear on who is the type of client I'm looking for um, and being able to target, you know, whether we, you, might, you might have different personas as far as that's concerned or different segmentations as far as the type of client you actually deal with. 
Um, but very much, if you, if you know that where your existing location, then go and find another spot that has a similar um, type of clientele that will be working in that particular spot. Yeah, no, that, that is really good. So that you speak, you're speaking like a true marketing person, right? So this is, and, and it's not a marketing speak, but it's, it's from perspective, perspective of identifying who your perfect client is. This is a lot of times, and you call persona perfect client, same thing. A lot of people miss this completely, right? Um, in fact, I'd say about half of the people I speak with can't articulate even after you know prompting them what who their perfect client is. It's kind of like we'll take anybody who has a pulse in the house, right? It may be, okay, maybe it needs to be in this area, right? Okay, so yeah, the property needs to be in this area because we don't want to go to a bad area. We want to go to this area. But beyond that, that's it. Like, what are they interests? What do they do? How old are they? How much money they make? How many properties they own on average? None of that has been done. So this is really sage advice. The information is available now on the internet, you know, with little pay some data company and, you know, do some, do you have any advice on, on the, on the market research since you see what um, you've done one? Yeah. A lot of, a lot of different sources here in Australia. And I imagine there's similar ones there. For, the first thing I want to know is, um, you know, is there activity happening in that area? So if, if it's a, an area that has uh, growth happening in it, so it could be, you know, apartments being built or, um, you know, high, whatever, condos, whatever it happens to be, or single family residences side of things, is there new builds that have been sold to property investors? So if it's a growth area, um, you, your business will be able to grow with it versus if it's a well-established marketplace, um, the numbers of properties under investment will stay similar year in, year out. So you can, it's not like it's going to be another you know, property investment is going to increase 10% in the next two years in that area because it's a well-established marketplace. So I'd look at, you know, um, bring on, is, is it a growth area as far as investors are actually attractive to it? Um, and this is a bit, probably one of the real common mistakes I find from, a, a well, marketing you mentioned before is that um, when we look at trying to acquire property management clients, is they tend to not live in the area where their property is located. So you've got to, your marketing is diametrically opposed to how it traditionally is in real estate sales. So real estate sales is easy. If I wanted to find a listing, all I have to do is go down the street and door knock. If you can do that in, in America, we can still do that in Australia or letterbox drop. I can work out whether you live in that property as a tenant or live in it as a owner. But when it comes to landlords, they live somewhere else. So you've got to know how to find where your clients hang out is how I'd say it, be able to market to them. Yeah, that's good. That's great, man. That's great. Um, I hope you're enjoying this show. We'll take you back there in just under 60 seconds. But first, are you running a property management company that is looking to grow by 100 properties or more over the next 12 months? Are you looking for a partner who can design and implement all of the marketing so you can focus on operations, customer experience, and profit? Are you willing to spend three to six hundred dollars per owner as you add them to your portfolio? And finally, do you have adequate resources on your end to dedicate to completing your part of the project so your marketing can be activated and all the leads start flowing in? Right? If the answers to those questions is yes, that means you are ready to grow and scale, and we here at Four and Half want to help you to do so. Log into fourandhalf.com, hit free consultation, and set up a time with one of my team members 
to go through your business and figure out how four and a half can deliver the growth you're looking for. Now back to the show. So, well, so we've we sort of we sort of talked about this, but are there any other methods or any other considerations you have for deciding what where the next location should be? So, in other words, is your recommendation to sort of try to mimic your or mirror your existing perfect client, or call it um, what do you call them? Persona, yeah, persona, yeah, perfect client persona. Or is it more advantageous to go to higher market area? Uh, excuse me, higher rent area, and try to go after some of that growth um, and and higher rents opportunity. Right. So so I I look at your existing client base to start with. You know, and and you know, we talk about a lot about referrals, don't we? About generating you know referral business from our existing clients and things like that. So you're thinking from that point of view is a lot of the times they will own another property that we don't manage. Right, in another another state. So actually, doing some research with the existing clients. You know, if you've got good client satisfaction, they will want you to manage properties outside your core marketplace. So doing some research with them, whether it's a survey, we're looking at expanding our business. Um, do you, you know, if we'd open another location, where should we open it? Right, and getting your feedback from your clients because the other thing with that, from a referral base, is that um, they will hang out with people similar to themselves. Right. So, you know, and they'll talk a similar dialogue and everything like that. So as soon as you open another location, those clients will be giving you extra properties, but also telling their friends about it as well. So that's why I was, you know, it's an overlap between your, your, your external market research you're doing, but using your internal market research to, to really get a grip of, of what's, you know, what's happening out there in the marketplaces. That's a fantastic piece of advice. This one, I didn't even know myself. So, hey, go after your clients and, uh, and ask them what, what makes sense? So similarly, if, you, if, you, if you've got referral partners, so people that are referring you clients, you know, whether that's your mortgage broker, your titles officer, real estate salespeople and things like that. The other one is to ask them. So it, it asks them, where, where is other area, areas that you see of activity out there that we could actually go and duplicate our business? We, you know, who out there is doing a shit job that we could actually go and set up our location there and take market share? So it's a case of using, you know, all the, all the, you know, spheres of influence, I suppose you could call it, to, to get that market research. Hmm. So internal, external. So let's talk about, let's speak about the, the shit job. Um, what sort of competitive research you recommend uh, for folks to do and how to do it? Um, it's uh, online's the first, first place to go these days. Everything, everything's just about online. Um, but one of the things I, I tend not to go too much into the into the, the agency or, or competitor market research. I want to know a bit about fees. Are we going to be um, be uh, competitive in that? You know, we don't want to be you know thirty percent higher in our fees that are competitive in a marketplace we're just coming into where we're not known. Um, but also knowing you know what are the and a lot of a lot of people talk about points of difference um, as far as you know what are they different to someone else. I don't I don't look at it from that point of view. I say what are our points of value. Um, because you know, a, a, a client will join us at a higher fee than a competitor when we can actually solve a problem with them and create value. They'll also leave us when we're not providing them value. So what are our points of value that we can actually go into the marketplace and be seen to be different um, side of things there with it as well? Do you have an example? Um, righto, uh, righto. From from a previous business point of view, um, dispersing um, funds to your client, 
you know, to the landlord dispersing, dispersing. We were in Australia um, years and years ago. We used to do what we call end of month. Once a month, we would give our landlords the, the funds um, and disperse it. And we'd hold that in a trust account. Or I think you guys over there call Correct. it escrow um, side yeah, of trust things. account. Yep. Yep. Trust account. Um, and, uh, and then a couple of years back, uh, earlier, or a couple of years ago, they decided let's do mid-month and end-of-month, you know, get the cash quicker to our clients. What we did is with the, with the software that we were using is we could disperse to our landlords on cleared funds. So as soon as that money hit our account and cleared, we could send it straight to them. So here in Australia, with trust accounts, um, us as a business, as an agency, we don't earn any, in, any interest on that money in that trust account. Um, the banks do and the government do. Um, they'll put it in the short-term money market and make their money there, but the agency doesn't make any, any money whatsoever. So if we could get the money quicker into our client's bank account, um, they will actually, say it's an offset account or whatever it happens to be, they'll actually save interest on their mortgage or their, their loan because of the, you know, the cash is getting quicker into their account, if that makes sense. Um, so whilst we might be dearer than someone else, our processes, we could net our clients more money because we're getting the money there to them quicker. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So that, that's, that was the unique value proposition. That's what you went to market with. Get paid sooner, save money. Yeah. Um, another one is around um, understanding how long it takes you to rent properties, right? So, um, you know, you should be able to do market research and know what your competitors, how long does it take for a competitor to rent their properties versus yourselves? So, for an example, if, if it took me seven days to, to secure a tenant from a property from advertising um, and I, my competitor was, took three weeks to do it, um, that, that landlord is going to be two weeks out of pocket with their rent. Right? So, at 500 bucks a week, they're going to be $1,000 out of pocket because of that other agency taking longer to rent their property. Versus I'm dearer, I'm charging them um, a percent dearer um, so 500 bucks a week, um, that's five bucks a week times uh, 52 is uh, $204. Um, I've cost them 204, but I've made them uh, doing my some $796. Yeah. Does that make sense? So I net, it's all around what I net the client, not what I cost the client. Got it. And so, so, so sort of go, go to market with those value propositions, um, focus on the client. I uh, don't focus too much on the competitors, know what they charge. So you don't come in 30% over or 30% under, which is also not good because you, you basically jeopardize your pro uh, profitability. Um, but, but also saying that if you're doing it, if your, your core business is going really, really well, um, a lot of the time your competitors are going to know how you go about doing business, right? Um, and they'll be rather scared about it. Um, and so uh, we, that office in 2008, when we said the whole, um, local real estate agents got together to, to try and work out how they can bat us coming into the marketplace. Cause we were, we were growth. We, we weren't, we were aggressive in our growth. Um, and, and, but they were really concerned that we were going to take significant market share, which we did. Which so did. they're all worrying about us. We're just worrying on our business. I didn't worry about what they were doing. I was just concentrating on the stuff I can control within the four walls of our business. Yeah. Sage advice. Um, now let's get more, a little bit more practical from your experience. Do you recommend, and, and so at what point should one establish a physical location or is a virtual office okay? Like in property management, how would you go about thinking on this? I've got a couple of different thoughts on this and, and, and I've um, spent a bit of time in the States in the last five and six years coming to Inman. So I understand some of your business models over there from a sales perspective. Um, so it, it's easy to test the water. Um, so if I, 
you know, we look at um, Keller Williams, for instance, they talk about their expansion, their team expansion model. Um, and that's based on operational efficiencies with their core team and creating marketing opportunities where they actually allow a single agent to operate in another market center in a completely different spot. So if, if I was starting an, an office from scratch and I didn't have um, massive access to capital, what I'd probably do is started my marketing in that particular area, my online lead generation side of things to, to get some testing done mm. um, to see whether I can get some traction in that area. And I'd probably refer the leads to a local agent to start with, right? a local property man, just to find out, you know, can I get traction in this particular marketplace? And I'd probably use them and, I, and this is, a, you build a relationship with them, but I'd probably use them as a pioneer property manager in that particular location. So if you start to generate a lot of leads for someone, they're going to get, it's a bit like a drug, they'll get hooked to it. Well, I want more of this. But mm. you'd be able to potentially use them as your pioneer to get it, you know, rebrand and go into that particular marketplace. So that's one way of thinking of it. But the other one with it is, you know, technology today has come a, a long way in the last 10 years. You know, we're, we're, we talk a lot about mobility today, you know, in the cloud and so forth. Um, so um, similar to EXP Realty, you know, they, they don't have uh, bricks and mortar offices there, you know, grown phenomenally over the last um, five years uh, since yeah. I met Glenn over there. Um, and that's all around individuals um, side of things without any, so back-end support, back-end system, back-end training, um, individual out there. So I'd very much, um, you, could, you can almost look at a work from home model to get some traction. Um, so a lot of, yeah, we're seeing it here in Australia, work from home models where tenant sign-ups are either done through DocuSign or if they still physically have to be done, you know, meeting in a coffee shop down around the corner from where the property's located. Um, side of things, you look at your lockboxes today, um, you can have, um, you know, obviously remote controlled lockboxes on properties and things like that. So um, that's how I'd be looking at it. Unless you had... Um, something you could potentially seed off to start it. So it's a lot of cash will be going out if you start a physical location from day one. So that's a couple of different thinkings on, on how I, I would approach it to start with. But I definitely, from a marketing perspective, I'd want to give it um, some, some trial work from a marketing. Can I generate some leads in that area? Um, potentially sell them to someone else or, or refer them on and then look at how can I ramp that up and potentially bring on physical, you know, team members and then potentially an office. Love it, man. Love it. So test it out, get leads, refer them out so you don't upset customers. Uh, meanwhile, you know, well, the see other, about the virtualizing. Other, yeah, the other one is I'd look at the likes of um, Colo Workspaces. So whether it's a, a WeWork and things like that, um, take, take a desk. You know, there's no long-term, you know, you've got, you can take different levels of commitment with WeWork spaces and things like that. Just take a service space for a period of time that you're not making a three-year commitment to a physical bricks and mortar lease location. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Um, I think that's, I think that's good. I think with the uh, proliferation of virtual assistants and, and, and if, and, and the technologies that the cloud technologies, as you said, it makes sense to, to really truly uh, do a lot of these things virtually or from home. Um, and, but that requires thought and process and workflowing and, and figuring things out. Yeah, and that's the case of, you know, the software obviously has come a long way. You start to look at the automation, um, and, but also the outsourcing side of things or the offshoring. Um, but also saying that is that the most scalable part of a business is actually the back end of the business. Um, so your, 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 your HR, your payroll, your trust accounting, everything, the functions, operational um, parts of the business are the most scalable. Everything else that's client-facing 
um, is, 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 is a lot of cash outlay to scale that. You know, we're talking about people putting on people to, to, to be belly to belly, face to face. So mm. that's, yeah, you can do everything from one location from a back end point of view. Gotcha. Let's talk about people. Who, Jason, who do you hire first? Who does your first hire? Uh, I'd actually do two hires, mm. not one. Um, one would be a property manager. The other one would be a BDM. Ah, you see, this is anti-US property <laughs> management base, man. I just went, so I was little, little side, little deviation. I just went to the, to the very first, and I, I know of, BDM conference put together by my friend Jordan Moella and uh, Jeremy Pound. They're, a pull, they're basically standing up a new company called Rentscale, where they're going to train BDM. It's going to be National BDM Training Center. Australia, you guys are awesome. You have speakers. You got trainers. People know there's community of BDMs here. Like if you're a BDM for property management company, you're weird and you're the only one in the area. <laughs> <laughs> I know what that was like back in 2005. Um, yeah, but, but saying that, I look at um, um, property management and business development are diametrically opposed um, roles. For sure, so man. You're not often that you'd find, um, you know, the, the unicorn who is a brilliant property manager and a brilliant bring clients on. Um, you know, it, it's us as salespeople. We're good at the belly to belly, face to face. If you want the, the, the T's um, crossed and the I's dotted every single time, we've got to put support in for that side of things. Um, saying that as well, I'm a big um, Chris Smith um, from Curator over in the US. So you would have come across Chris um, in your travels. Um, he wrote a book uh, a couple of years ago um, called, um, uh, what was it, The Conversion Code, um, which was very much around um, analog and digital. Um, and the other one around that is looking at inside sales and outside sales. So do you actually, can you actually do the inside sales from a central location? In other words, landlord, you know, comes through one of your marketing channels. Do you need to physically go and see him um, or her? Can you present over the telephone or through video conferencing? Do you just send the paperwork out, get it signed and then have to deal with the management? So once you start to understand lead generation, you can actually... Yeah, you, know, you don't have to have someone going out physically every you know single time to do a presentation and such. So you can you, you two different roles there. So do you feel this is um, from what I understand and hear from my customers, about eighty percent of the conversations can be closed remotely. The other twenty still have to go and meet the owner at the house. Do you feel the same way, or is there a similar split in your experience? Um, once again, it comes down to your target market. You know, who is your ideal client, righto? Um, you will tend to find if you're trying to be every, everything to everyone, you will have a lot more face-to-face -face, um, uh, engagement with your landlords. Um, and usually what I'll find is that they will be a lot more um, hard work as landlords. In other words, they, they, you know, they've been to an investment seminar, they buy an investment property. It's two streets away from where they friggin' live now. Right. So, yeah, they've self-managed it for a period of time. Then you look after the management and they're driving past every week and ringing up the tenant hasn't mowed the lawn. They haven't put their garbage in. You know, do you want to be dealing with that particular client at the end of the day versus if they are a, a prof you know, not a professional, like, you know, uh, but, a, but a purely in it for the investment reasons. There's, no, there's not much emotion involved other than money, um, but they bought it for an investment. Um, if you're going over those clients, most of your meetings, you don't have to be face-to-face. -face. Yeah, Todd Orchide, uh, another good friend and, uh, and a very active in a property, property management company owner and a 
in the property management community. He just, I just saw a video he recorded, which was excellent, excellent video. It basically says, look, treat, um, you know, as a landlord, treat your property like a 401k, right? Like a retirement plan. Do you call up your asset manager and you tell him what mix of stocks he should be putting in this week. And then you call him next week and you tell him again, hey, take me out of this position, put me in this position. No, you don't do that. He says, you know, the money come out of your paycheck, they go to your 401k and the professionals handle it. You retire happy. <laughs> you know, yep. so, so the, I like the analogy he used. It's sort of, I, I always knew that was like, this is the worst when the client co-manages with you. And it, it's look, it's same thing for marketing, man. I, I can tell you, Jason, I don't know if you actually did some marketing consulting for people and you get to a point where, you know, you're pro you know what you're doing, you know how to put together everything, but once a client decides to make the changes for whatever reason and the branding changes are okay. Okay. I understand you got to be on brand when you market. That's, that's important. I get it. But when the changes are purely emotional or just because somebody said something else and you pivot and things don't work. Okay, this marketing plan is crap. Well, no, you know, it was written as something that would work. And if, if, if allowed to be implemented, it would work. And the same thing with property management. This, oh, this is to me a fantastic. So in Australia, you, you also guys, you also have landlords that, that like to co-manage. Yeah, correct, correct. But I'll just, I'll just say something back to, back to that comment around your marketing side of things. That's a, the beauty about you know, um, online marketing versus um, analog marketing is you can split test today. So it's not like we have to have a fight between you and I and you're right and I'm wrong. Let's split test it. Let's let the data tell us. So, you know, a lot of times we'll have our opinion on what should work with marketing, but the data will tell us a completely different story. So that's a great thing about split testing in your marketing today. But you can do it through the data being being the bad cop versus you, you and I having a massive blue over who's right and who's wrong. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Um... If you allow that to happen, and yeah, and if you believe the data, but a lot of times um, <laughs> with marketing, you're right. We, we always have the data, but the challenge, at least that I found, a lot of times emotions come ahead of any sensible uh, uh, data points, what data tells you. Let me give you an example. Okay. My website is not ranked above Jim. I need to be above Jim. Well, why do you need to be above Jim? Well, I want to be above Jim. I need to be higher because we get more clicks that way. We get more leads that way. Well, how many leads you getting? Well, I'm getting 50. How many leads can you handle? I can handle 50. Well, so why do you need to be like this conversation is just, okay, well, or like, look, your conversion ratio is 11%. It's not the leads. You got to get it up to 2025. Like you need a BDM. No, but I want to be above Jim. Like that is all I want. And they will spend money to be above Jim, right? It's, yep. There's no, it, us business owners, we are, we are emotional creatures. Like I understand that. I relate to it. I connect to it. I still want to educate against it. <laughs> Make a recommendation. That's what we do as professionals, isn't it? That's it. Even doctors, doc, doctors get, always get argued. My dad argues with his doctor. My dad knows better. I'm like, dad, you don't know shit. <laughs> just, just, just do it. He's like, no, they don't know what they're talking about. Blah blah. Just uh, doctor, good old doctor Google, eh? We the human. So I guess, I guess the the, the lesson out of this little uh, rant of mine is, and Jason's is, um, 
hey, you know, we pick who our best client is and we go after these clients. And look, not everybody's going to be a fit. Correct. Period. Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. So you hired two people, property manager and BDM. If we can virtualize any part of it, great. But those are the two functions that are necessary to grow a location. And saying that from, you know, if you're starting from zero, you know, property managers not don't have any properties to manage. So effectively they're doing BDM work until you, like I said, until you get to the stage where they are at capacity in, in that property management side, but you can funnel everything back over the BDM side. That's, hmm. that's how I work it. Yep. Got you. What would be sort of the rough, um, not rough, but took a high level marketing playbook, Jason, what would, what playbook would you use for a new location? How would you allocate marketing funds? Um, I wouldn't to start with, right? So other than if you're doing testing, you know, online testing, um, I would look at, I always look at um, my clients, who do my clients or potential clients hang out with, right? So it's a case of saying, who else, you know, this is gonna come across the way, who else touches my clients? Is a, who else provides a service to my clients? So um, I would look at, you know, over in the States, what do you, 70% managed to 30%, um, Come, uh, property managed sort of thing, isn't it? Seventy percent self-managed. Yep. Thirty percent yep. professionally. Yeah. Yeah, correct. Right. So, you look at your clients out there. Who who else has done a touch a potential property investor in that process? So, if I was going into a marketplace over there, the first thing I'd do is go and talk talk to all the real estate sales agents out there, and build a relationship up with them. You know, most of the companies they work with will not do property management. So if you can come up with your, your play or your script around, you know, we're a professional property management company. Uh, if you've got investors that own property or you come across an investor, I can be your preferred supplier in that particular. I will look after them. I will nurture them for you. So effectively, it, instead of them doing their database nurturing, you're nurturing the relationship. So if they decide in three or five years time, I can refer it back to you. So your, your sales people, real estate salespeople are done to touch lots of investors through their process, through their inquiry. I need to be on the shopping list with them and say, hey, you need to talk to Jason Rose. He's an expert in property management. You don't want to be looking at this after yourself. So that's the first one I'd look at because your salespeople are done to be meeting lots and lots of people. Um, they'll already have clients that own investment properties now. Um, so that'd be the first one. The other one you'd just start to look at is the other people that are involved in the process. Your, your, your mortgage brokers, um, your, your loans people, your title people and things like that. How can you be the preferred or recommended supplier to those particular? That's, that's the first one I'd look at because um, you can generate leads virtually straight away um, through sales agents and through some of those other referral partners. Um, I, I, and that's a, a, a big part of the business we grew was, was a big part was around that. And I worked on a simple philosophy. If I could have 20 referral partners referring me 20 managements a year, that's 400 managements. So how do I find and build relationships with people that will actually may be the preferred supplier with it? That, that's a, that was, would be the, the on the ground stuff. But then it's a case of working out where do my clients hang out in other channels that I can actually start to market to. Gotcha. Um, so that, that's the, the groundswell, the foundational thing. Um, are there any pieces of digital marketing you will deploy um, to, get, to get the online part? of the business going? Um, the part of it's understand, you know, can you access over there? Do you know where you, if a property investor owns this property, do you know where they live or what state they live in? Uh, you can get that information. Correct. You can buy right. a list. Yes. Okay. So that's part of looking at, you know, targeted marketing. So 
Um, big one today is you look at your, your, I call it stalker marketing channels, right? So your remarketing side of things and pay-per-click pay advertising. Um, Facebook, LinkedIn um, are my big ones there. LinkedIn's the one that's, um, that's very much underutilized at the moment. So you start to look at, you know, LinkedIn's used by professional people. Um, and usually professional people are more affluent people as well. So I'd be starting to look at content marketing through that channel, but then also paid advertising through those channels once you understand um, where the particular clients hang out. So the similar one, if you'd looked at your existing business and you want to overlap this with your existing business, what I'd look at is where do your current landlords live? So if you had, say, 500 doors, for instance, um, where do my landlords currently live? So if you look, you know, for me, I would have done an ex export out of my CRM of all the postal addresses of my landlord, filter it out of that and say, where is, where are they, where is it the most of them live? And then go and target marketing to that particular area. So if you've got more investors living in that particular area, then there'll be more investors traditionally living in that area. So it's, it's really um, reverse engineering. It's similar, you know, we, we talk about letterbox dropping here in Australia to create new business opportunities. Um, the problem is that the landlords live in a completely different suburb to, to the properties that you manage. So if you try to letterbox drop in the area managed, where they're 50% or, or 60, 70% are investor properties, um, you're not going to get any sort of return whatsoever on that. So that's what you talk about, your reverse engineer. Where do my clients hang out and how can I get in front of them? That's fantastic, Jason. That's fantastic. Hey, um, Man, this this was this is an incredible amount of information. I have my copywriter create a very helpful article, and we'll give you a link. Um, we'll, we'll, if people want to go talk to you, you know, about building a new location or other ways to grow their business, seems like you know your stuff. Well, how would they go find you? Uh, Facebook's probably the easiest one to follow me today. Um, just search Jason Rose in Australia, um, as in the words, and um, which is my personal Facebook profile. Um, is probably the easiest way, or LinkedIn. Just jump on LinkedIn and do a search for me. Um, I think you probably would have done, done the same to get a bit of my background and so forth. So um, Facebook or LinkedIn, two places you'll go and find me. Gotcha. So I'll go fish you. Uh, I'll make a friend. Uh, <laughs> we'll make a friend uh, friendship online. I really appreciate you sharing all this information. Any parting words of wisdom to those who are looking to take the leap on this? Um, it's got to be a business decision. Everything, you know, I look at purely a business. You talked about emotion before. Make a business decision. Does the numbers stack up, both from a capacity to take market share, but also around the profitability? You don't, you don't want to rake your existing business and lose the profit there trying to create something else. You've got to make sure that the profit is sustainable. And this is probably the, the big one is your existing team. Um, you know, you've got to look at your role in your business currently. What do you do in your business currently? And I'm a big believer in you pushing stuff down to allow people to step up. So you want to do yourself out of a job because if you're going to open a second location, it's going to take a lot more time than what you actually think it'll do. Especially if you went into an adjoining state, you know, it's going to take time. You don't have to spend weeks and days and things like that. They're not just the case of everything being done virtually. So it's got to make business decision first. Um, that, that has the capacity to do it, but you have to be right as far as you as a leader in the business. Um, you cannot have your existing business suffer with you wanting to go and grow, grow another location. Hmm. Good advice, good advice. And uh, if some of you, uh, my listeners, I know you're in Australia out there. If you want to check out um, and get some marketing help for your business, go to fourandhalf.com 
www.australiaspacific.com.au. It's our brand new site. Everything's Australia specific. The lingo. Give me feedback on a lingo. If you feel like we've said something that it's not, mm, it doesn't translate as well in Australia, here, write me an email. Alex at foreignhub.com would appreciate that. We have Denny Morris, a native over there in Perth, ready to talk to people. Been with us four years. The guy knows his stuff. Jason, thank you kindly um, for everything and for sharing. And ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thanks, Alex. Cheers.